This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. So we are uh, in the book of Matthew. You can turn there again doing a verse by verse uh, study on uh, Matthew chapter 7 as it sums up our Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 7, again, this is a summation, and we have entitled this Matthew chapter 7, the summation of the matter, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so, uh, again, we've embarked upon this teaching. Uh, This is our third teaching on this particular, in this particular chapter. And so let us start reading here. And and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you right now. Uh, don't blink uh, because you're going to miss the review if you do. Okay, it's going to be it's going to be super quick. So don't blink or you will miss it. Matthew chapter seven. Judge not, verse one. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy. Well, you know what? Let me stop right there. Because we've got to go into this in a little bit. Uh, so verses 1 through 5. So we talked about verses 1 through 5. And the, the, the main idea, the, the, the concept that we need to, to grab a hold of out of that. And this is, this is the review, so don't blink. The concept that we need to grab a hold of that is that, and I told you last week, there's a difference between a judgment and an examination. Difference between a judgment and an examination. A judgment, I said, that means that you're trying to interpret. You're trying to interpret the law. I said, remember about the natural judge. He interprets the law, and then he gives the sentence. We want to be sure that we're not putting ourselves in that seat. First of all, the law does not need to be interpreted. The word does not to be in, it is not to be interpreted, because the scripture tells us that there's no private interpretation for any of us. God has already interpreted the scriptures. All we need to do is find out what he says. All we need to do is find an understanding. That is, that is our job. So we've got to be sure that we're not trying to sit at the seat and sit on, I told you, God has not given up his mercy seat to you. He's not given up his judgment seat to you. So you need to take a back seat. So the only thing that we are required to do, and, and I'm going to add something to that in a second, but we, what, what we are required to do is to examine. We're supposed to examine people. Not judge people. We're supposed to examine people. Now, there is a judgment that we have. We have to judge right and wrong. We can judge situations. But we are not in the seat to judge people. We are in the seat to be able to examine the lives just like they can examine our lives. We are should be able to examine the lives of people. And that's going to be important because we're, we're going to talk about that in just a second, uh, uh, part of the reason why that is. But we are supposed to examine and take, take note of. Remember I told you an examination is very quiet. You don't have to talk. You don't have to say, say what, you, what you find. What you, you don't have to do any of that. 
what you have to do is examine with your eyes. You need to observe and then you need to take note. You examine and then you take note. Because then you know what to stay away from, what not to stay away from. You know what's good, you know, you know all of that. But remember what I said. That there is a difference. But what I was what I was I was going to well, where I'm going with that is is that with the judgment and I said that there is judgment in circumstances and situations, that we're supposed to judge circumstances and situations. That is what we're supposed to judge and not people. So that is the review. Now, we're going to move on. Verse 5. No, verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest I trample them under feet and turn again and rend you. So, I started out last week about talking about what is discernment, and we're going to pick up from there. What is discernment? I said that true discernment is not only judging right and wrong, it's not only discerning right and wrong, or distinguishing between right and wrong. I said that discernment also means distinguishing between the primary and the secondary. I said it's distinguishing between the essential from the indifferent. I said that it is, it is uh, distinguishing the permanent from the transient. It's distinguishing the good from the better and the better from the best. It's distinguishing, it's recognizing and being able to distinguish those things. The example that I gave you last week was uh, about church attendance, right? So we, we have uh, someone that we know, someone in the ministry whose church attendance is mm, a little iffy. So they're here two or three Sundays, and then they're not here two or three Sundays, right? And so we want to try to minister to them. We want to try to talk to them and minister to them about their church attendance. Now, you know you need to be at church, and you know you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. But I said that... Sometimes the church attendance is the secondary thing. Because there's a reason why they're missing church. There's a reason why they come two or three Sundays and then they miss two or three Sundays or whatever the case is. There's a reason why. And I'm not talking about work. But that could be it. I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, them traveling and them going out of town. Whatever, whatever, you know, those, those little things. It could be something very deeper than that, which then becomes the primary, which then becomes the essential, which then becomes the more permanent, which then becomes the better, or it becomes the best. The church attendance then becomes the secondary thing, or the indifferent. I'm going to say indifferent, uh, just in the sense of, again, you first have to get to the root of the problem before you can give them something else. So I said that the problem could be, it could be that they need a brother or sister. They need to understand maybe they, you know, they hadn't been in a church before where people cared. Maybe they hadn't been in a place where they were missed. Maybe they hadn't been in a place where they were taught that we're jointly fitted together. 
Maybe they hadn't been in a place where they taught that, that the scripture tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Maybe they weren't taught that when you come to church, when you fellowship, when you come together with other like-minded believers that you can be strengthened. Maybe they don't know those things. Maybe they feel like they're alone. Maybe they feel like nobody cares. Oh, they, they won't, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just a member. I'm just a member. Maybe they need a connection. Maybe they need a connection. And so while you're trying to teach and minister to them about coming to church, they need something deeper than that. And that's why I said that it's important. That's where discernment comes in. That's where discernment comes in. Turn to uh, uh, Psalms chapter 119. Psalms 119. And let's look at verse 66. And the scripture reads, Teach me good judgment and knowledge. For I have believed thy Commandments. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. So this is saying, this is, this is the ability, this is asking God to, to teach me, to give me, allow me the ability to distinguish between and to recognize the implications of different situations. Allow me, give me the ability to distinguish between and to recognize the implications of different situations and courses of action. You have to have discernment. Give me spirit, ask God to give me spiritual, give me spiritual understanding. Give me, uh, uh, teach me good judgments and teach me and give me knowledge. That's, that's asking for discernment because you cannot, number one, you can't discern the hearts of people. You don't know what's in their heart. God is the one who searches the heart. All you know is that person, in this example, all you know is this person is not coming to church. But you don't know what's going on on the inside. And so then when we ask God for discernment, what should I do in this situation? What course of action should I take? What should I say? What shouldn't I say? You are asking then God to teach me good judgment and knowledge. And that's what we need to deal with each other. That's what we need to deal with God's people. We need his discernment. It's not about what you think. It's not about what I think. It's only about what God thinks. And yes, God is black and white in the sense that he has set a standard coming to church, church attendance. Yes, that is a standard that he has set. And ultimately, he will get there with that person. But you don't know what has led to that. You don't know what God is having to do to get that person to that point. That's why you just need to ask for discernment and you need to pray. I said, God can use you. You don't know. You know. You don't know what's going on. But God may just lay it on your heart to ask him to go to lunch. And just asking them to go to lunch. And you don't necessarily even have to talk about, you know, the, the ministry. Not necessarily. You don't even have to get into the, you know, the deep things. You don't have to even, even uh, t- take them to lunch so that you can minister to them if you, if you will. Although they are missing church. 
Again, asking God. Discernment. What is better from best? What is the primary? What is the goal? So God, you're asking me to take this person to lunch. You're asking me to ask this person to go to lunch. Well, what is it that you want me to say? What don't you want me to say? Discernment. Then we talked about balancing. Balancing. We started talking about balancing love with discernment. So I told you here, God's taking this slight turn here in, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter, in, in the, the, the sixth verse. I said that we've already stated, so we've already stated, we've already established that when we examine people, it should always be done out of love. Love for God first and love for his people. If we love God, if we love God, in our examination, we'll be looking for the things that God wants us to look for and not look for the things that we just want to add to his standard and, 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 and uh, the things that we just want to, to tack on to people and to you know, keep them under uh, our thumbs with or, or whatever. I told you, sometimes we act like God's commandments are our own instead of them coming from him. We act like we're the, 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 the standard police and the Bible police and the church police. Well, we got to police everything. We got the right tickets and we got to, you know, we got the right warning signs. We got to, we got to do all of that because we're the church police. God does not need us to be church police. We're, if we love God, then we will want to do what God desires of us to do. He has done what? Because, because we love him, we understand that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Because we love God, we understand that the scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world. He loves all of us. If we love God, we will understand. We will have the standard that he has. He came to seek and save the lost. We will have the same standard that he He will leave the rest to go after the one. He's the same, the same God. We know that He is. He is now what He was then, even when He did the woman at the well. Even when He talked to the woman who, the, the woman who was caught in adultery. How He treated, how He handled that situation. Yes, she was wrong, but how did God handle this situation? He's not about calling people out. He's not, that's not, he's not about making your known sins known to everybody else. That's not what he does. That's what, what if everybody in this room, or everybody in your house even, knew everything that you, if God was just putting you on blast, that thought you had just a second ago, he just puts you on blast. God is, that is not the, that's not the God that we serve. That is not the God that he's, he, his concern is that we get it right. His concern is that we accept Christ. His concern is that we live for him. That is his concern. His, not, his concern is not about putting your business out in the street. That's not what his concern is. That should not be what our concern is. 
And we're talking about loving God. And when we love God, then we should love his people as his word already declares. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and the same like unto love your neighbor as yourself. And you don't want nobody, you don't want nobody putting your business out in the street. That is the same way. Part of that other scripture that, uh, about the judgment, verses 1 through 5, it talks about that, that when we judge, remember that we are being judged. The same measure that you meet, that's the same thing that's going to come back to you. Those things we got to keep in mind. So we are supposed to love and we're supposed to balance that with discernment. Why did I say that? Because we talked about then actions, how you may minister to someone. You may minister to them, and it seems like they're hearing. It seems like they're listening, but they're really not because their actions show. They may, see, they may say that they want help with something, but they're not really serious. So they tell you, but then I told you you have to even balance that. Discernment. You even have to balance that because it's not, sometimes I said, we didn't get it, always get it right the first time. So I'm not saying that, that, that if, if you're ministering to someone and it doesn't seem like they're getting it right then, that you should just leave them alone. I'm not saying that either. Again, that's why we talked about discernment first. You gotta have discernment. We didn't get it right the first time. We didn't get it right the second, the third, or the hundredth time. How long did God have to labor and send laborers to us? How, how, how many laborers did he have to send to us? How long did he have to labor with us before we accepted him as Lord and Savior? But that only comes... You don't know the heart of that person that you're dealing with. That's why discernment is so crucial. That's why discernment is so crucial. So I said this is not to say that we give up on them when their actions are still contrary to what we've been ministering to them. The things that, we're trying to, that we've been trying to impart in them. It's not to say that we give up. You, you, the children, so, uh, let's look at this. So the children of Israel... Let's look at this in Malachi. Go to Malachi. We're going to set this up for you. And then we're going to go on. The book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. I just want you to just just open your Bible to there and then, and then we're going to get to this in a second. So the children of Israel were back and forth. They were in and out. They would clean up in one area. They would stray in another area. But before and right at the stretch of God's silence between Malachi and Matthew, we want to see what was going on. I know you say there's nothing to see the book between the book of Matthew or Malachi and Matthew. So before this stretch of time, the Jews had given up their idol worship. They had given it up. Which God had been dealing with them about that. He had been dealing with them about that for some time. But by this time, at Malachi, they had already given up 
their idol worship. But they were mistreating their wives. But they were marrying pagans. But they were not tithing. They were doing some things. They had already done something. They cleaned up in some areas. But they were still lagging behind in some other areas. The priests were, were neglecting, the priests were neglecting the temple and not teaching the people the ways of God. This was happening. In other words, they were not honoring God. And then at this point, in, after Malachi, there was silence. There was silence. Upward 400 years of silence. I ask you a question. What was God doing in that time when he was not speaking to them through the priests and the prophets? What was he doing? Surely he hadn't given up on them. Surely he hadn't given up on them. He has not given up on them. Surely he had not thrown them away. And he has not thrown them away. Let's look at this Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. Behold, I will send you Elijah. <laughs> that lets you know right there, he had not given up on them. Although he didn't speak to them after this point for a while, he still had not given up on them. He had not thrown them away. Let's look at this. Elijah. So Elijah was the prophet that had experienced, or we, I'm going to say experienced no death, where his transition, the way we know the transition of us, of, us, of us leaving this earth to go to heaven, he did not experience that death, that transition. It says that he was just taken up. I love, I would love that. He was just taken up. It's it taken up in a whirlwind. <laughs> I love that. God, I mean, just God, God is so awesome. He would just, just take it up. Just, just take it up in a whirlwind. He was a prophet. It said that he is to return before the arrival of the second coming of Jesus. So Elijah was known for his confrontation of sin. He was known for that. He was known as the prophet who brought the word of God to kings. And he even brought the word of God to kings who rejected the message. Hence, King Ahab. Elijah had been teaching. Elijah, he was trying to do, trying to do it all. 
trying to give him the word of God. But then he ran into folks that rejected the word. So what does this scripture tell us? Number one, he was not through. It tells us that. Because he says he's going to send. He's not through. He said, I'm going to send someone who's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the, cho- and the hearts of the children. To- he said, I'm not, do- I'm not done working on the heart. Oh, catch that. I'm not done working on the heart. Yeah, you're acting a fool right now. Children, you're acting a plum fool. And I'm going to go silent on you, but guess what? I'm still working on your behalf. I'm still working. Book of Matthews. Let's turn to the book of Matthew. Chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read three verses. So walk with me. Verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And that's all we want to read. So as the book of Matthew opens up, we see the generations that were leading to the birth of Christ. We see the generations that were leading to the birth of Jesus Christ. We see the preparation for his coming to earth in these scriptures. The generations. Let's look at the preparations for Christ's coming continued in Luke. So turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And let's start reading at verse 12. Luke 1 Verse 12. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for the prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. Listen. And he shall go before him in the spirit. Go before him. Uh, go before And he shall go before him. And him, he's talking about Jesus. And he shall go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
So here we see in Luke chapter 1 verses 12 through 17 that John the Baptist is now here on the scene. And he is not, although he is not Elijah, he came in the spirit of Elijah. Although he was, he came in the spirit and taking on the prophetic role, boldly confronting sin, boldly confronting sin, and pointing people to God. He was a forerunner for Jesus. So remember what I said. I said, what was God doing? What was God doing in that silent time between Malachi and Matthew? He was preparing the way. He was making room after all, after all of the ignorance, after all of the sinning, after all the thing, after all of the backbite, after all of the uh, the adultery of the uh, idolatry, after all of that 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 Israel did. He is. We see him here. He was silent, but here we see him preparing the way. He did not leave them, nor did he forsake them. And that's the same kind of attitude that we need to have with people. The same kind of attitude. So in those 400 years of silence between the books of Malachi and Matthew, God may not have been speaking to them, but he was surely working in the background. Surely he was working in the background. God's silence to them did not mean he was, wasn't still working them. Catch that. God's silence to them does not mean that he wasn't still working for them. <laughs> That's the same with us. That should be the same with us. That discernment. Matthew chapter 7. Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at verse 6 again. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest I trample them under feet, and turn again and rend you. In other words, don't waste what is set apart for the glory and the honor of God on those that don't want it, and those that don't respect it. That's all he's saying. Don't waste what is set apart as holy unto the Lord. That which is set apart to glorify God. To honor God. Don't waste that on those who don't want it. And those who don't respect it. So last time we started talking about the dogs. What, who are the dogs? So in, in the Old Testament, the dogs were referred to as the unclean. They were unclean animals. So, so for, for us, that would relate to those who are unholy, whose hearts have not been, been washed. Their hearts have not been washed. They were considered unclean. It was a term for dogs, was a term for those who lacked respect or reverence for something. They lack respect. They lack reverence for something. Dogs will trample all over your yard. They lack respect. 
They don't respect boundaries. Your tree or not, if they got to go, there you have it. In your yard. They, they don't respect anything. And they vomit and they go back to what they vomit to. What they vomited up. They go back to it. They vomit it up, they go back to it. They vomit it up, they go back to it. The pigs. Pigs. In the Old Testament, they were considered unclean. Considered unclean. And they chose to waddle in dirt. Just stay in it. Don't, I don't want to be clean. And for me, cleaning is cleaning in dirt. You can't be clean in dirt. They waddle in mud. Dogs vomit, go back to their vomit. Pigs, they choose to waddle in dirt. But then it tells us here that we should not cast our pearls. So don't give that which is holy. Don't give it to them. They don't want it. Don't give it to them. And neither cast your pearls. And what are pearls? Pearls, simply words of wisdom that are invaluable. Pearls. Those are words of wisdom. Words of wisdom that are invaluable. Pearls are priceless. Pearls are priceless. You get you a good set of pearls. I mean some real pearls. You get you a good set of real pearls. And if you got to ask how much it costs, words of wisdom, they are valuable and they are priceless. If I want a set of pearls and I can afford it, I don't care how much they cost. They're priceless. So we cannot entrust holy teachings to unholy people. Catch that. We cannot entrust holy teachings to unholy people. It is futile. It's futile. It is futile to try to teach holy concepts to people who don't want to listen. You're wasting your time. It is futile to try to teach holy concepts to people who don't want to listen and only desire to tear you apart. It says that they, what, they rend. What does that mean? They're going to trample all over whatever you say. They're trying to catch you up. They're trying to slip you up. They want to argue about the scriptures. Listen, we're not doing any of that. You don't want the word. You just want to argue your point. I'm not going to give what is holy, what is set apart, what is set apart to honor God. I'm not giving that to you because you don't want it. That's not what you want. They're going to rend you. They're going to rend you. They're going to try to walk all over. They're going to try to trample all over. We, I don't, we don't have time for that. Listen, this applies, this applies to believers and unbelievers alike. Oh, that's harsh. Oh, I, I mean, I get, I get the unbelievers. I get that. But you know what? Sometimes believers, they live like supposedly believers. I'm going to say Christians. Christians, they live like unbelievers. Why? Because they vomit up and they go back to it. Why? Because they leave the dirt. 
but they want to go back and waddle in it. They act like the dogs and the pigs. Did I call somebody a dog and a pig? No, I didn't. I said they act like the dogs and the pigs. They act like those who lack respect or reverence. They act like those who choose to waddle in their own dirt. That's why we must be wise. That's why we must, that's why we must ask for discernment in what we teach to whom so that we will not be wasting our time. We don't have time to waste. It is important that we be able to spiritually discern that. What is good from what is best. What's good? Ministering the word is good. It's good. It's very good. When you come across people who don't know God, when you come across people who are, you know, that, that might just need some, just some ministering too. They could be believers. They just need some ministering too. All of that is good. But what is best? Not allowing somebody to waste your time. That's best. <laughs> Did you get that? It's a good thing. Just spiritual discernment. We're talking about discerning. It's good to minister the word. We're called to ministry of reconciliation. That's good. But sometimes it's best to leave it alone because all they're trying to do is waste your time. Discernment. That's why we need spiritual discernment. Lord, teach me good judgment and knowledge. So just like God who loved and loves the Jewish people, But he took some time to be silent. There are times when our silence becomes necessary. There are times when our silence becomes necessary. And you have to be able to spiritually discern when you are at that point with people. You got to be able to spiritually discern when you're at that point. But also, like God, our silence to them because they lack respect or reverence for what we're, we're trying to impart into their lives. Because they reject the holy scriptures and the holy word, the things of the holiness that we're, we're trying to give them. Because they reject it, that does not mean that we stop working in the background. It doesn't mean that we stop working in the background. It doesn't mean that we stop working and laboring for them. Remember last week, I said, there are some that we labor with. That means you stick to it. You stick to it. With, with spiritual discernment, you'll know that. You'll know the ones that's just kind of struggling. You'll, you'll know. With spiritual discernment, God will show you. Those that are just struggling, they're just having a hard time. Those you labor with, but then there are some you just labor for. There's some you labor with, and then there are some you just labor for. And our laboring for them, our labor means it's not just not, because your labor is not just ministering to others, but your labor is also praying for others. That's a labor, that's a work. If it's done right, okay, if it's done right, prayer is a work, and it is labor if it is done correctly. I'm not talking about those little prayers you just throw up. I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 
sincere, the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous makes much power available. That's, that's, I'm talking about effectual. I'm talking about praying for somebody like you would want somebody to pray for you. I'm not talking about throwing up a two or three minute prayer. Lord help them. Lord only you know their heart. So you deal with it. I'm just going to leave it in your hands. And I'm not saying that your prayer has to be so long where you know you're taking two or three days. I'm not saying that either. I said the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous. It, there's, no, it, it, there's no time limit on that. It, no time is set. It said effectual. If it's effective in ten minutes, then it's effective. It said, if it's fervent in ten minutes, then it's fervent. If it's effective and fervent in an hour, it is what it is. But pray for somebody like you would want them to pray. For you remember, because we're praying, all we want for them to do is to turn their lives over to God. We want them to live and serve God, and we want them to win in life. That should be, that should be your motive right there. I love you enough to labor because I want to see you give your life to God, and I want to see you win in life. I don't want to see you live a defeated life, and you are a believer. I don't want to see you live a, 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 a defeated life and because you haven't accepted salvation because I surely know where you're going to end up at the end without accepting God. I'm going to pray for you like somebody prayed for me. Your grandmother, your mama, your daddy, your grandmother, your grandfather, your great, 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 great. That, listen, they prayed effectually and fervently. They got up wee hours in the morning. They fasted and they prayed. They fasted and they prayed. The effectual, fervent prayer. So in our prayers, if we have to go silent on somebody, in our prayers, we should be asking God to open up their heart, to break the hardness of their hearts, to make more opportunities. For them to listen and hear, even if it's through another laborer filled with the Spirit of God. That that laborer may till the ground for replanting of the seed that you've already sown. That they might uh, uh, water the seed that you have already sown. We should be praying about whatever is necessary for the seed of the word to take root in the hearts of, the, of his people. Effectual fervent prayer. I just want you to get it right. And I know that the only one, the only one who can break up that fallow ground of your heart, the only one is the Lord. He's the only one. And I'm going to pray just like that. I'm going to pray just like that. That is a labor of love. That's a labor of love. That is having discernment. That is recognizing the essential work. The essential thing that must be done. Work it, recognizing the essential 
is that their hearts are turned to God and that they get it. That's the essential. The indifferent is who they hear it through. That doesn't matter. That does not matter. The essential is that they get it and that they turn their hearts to God. The indifferent is who they receive it through. We're talking about having a heart. We're talking about loving Loving God's people. Remember, coming off of judging and examination, we're talking about loving God's people enough to minister and do what we need to do, but also understanding that we have to balance that love with discernment. And we can only get that discernment through God. Psalms 119 and 66. Teach me your ways. I understand that your standards, that your ways are what's best. And I want to yield to that. Verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. Everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So in the previous chapter Jesus was speaking about prayer as a commandment, as a duty. A precept. Hold on to that word precept. He was teaching that prayer, about prayer, as a commanded duty. A precept. A precept is, 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 is simply an authoritative warning or an order. Precept. It's an authoritative warning or order. And so he was teaching about prayer as a commanded duty by which we honor God. In prayer, we honor God. And if it's done right, so the first thing is that we honor God, but if it's done right, it shall be rewarded. If it's done right, it shall be rewarded. So here he speaks of it as a prescribed means of obtaining, a prescribed means of obtaining what we need, particularly relating to grace to obey the word that he gives, or to obey the principles that he gives. Here it is simply. Pray. Pray often. Pray with sincerity and seriousness. He said, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. It won't change the scriptures for me to say, pray. Pray. And it shall be given you. Pray often. And you shall find. Pray with sincerity. And seriousness. And it shall be open unto you. Pray. Pray often. Pray with sincerity and seriousness. We need to make prayer a conscious and a constant effort. Prayer needs to be a constant and a conscious effort. It should be earnest. Prayer has to be earnest. Prayer is our demonstrating. It's our, our, our asking God is a demonstration. It demonstrates our wants and our needs and burdens to God. Yes, he already knows, but he wants you to ask. Asking demonstrates our reliance. Asking demonstrates our dependence. Asking demonstrates our trust. 
asking demonstrates our faith and it demonstrates our belief in God. That's what asking does. That's what asking does. Let's break this down a little bit further. Ask and it shall be given. God spoke to several, he spoke to several people in the scriptures specifically and told them to ask. Solomon, he spoke to Solomon about that in 2 Chronicles. Turn there really quick. 2 Chronicles, chapter 1, verse 7. In that night did God appear unto Solomon, and he said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. Oh boy, ask what I shall give thee. Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7, we won't go there. Another example. He said, ask thee a sign of the Lord. Ask thee a sign of the Lord. In general, so that was God speaking. In general, Jesus told us to ask. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. And 19. Matthew 18 and 19 in the scripture reads, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Matthew 21. Turn over a page or two. 21 verse 22. And the scripture reads, 21 and 22, and the scripture reads, And all things, whatsoever ye, ask, ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. All about asking. And I got several more scriptures that I'm not going to get to about asking. James, he talks about asking. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And let's look at verse 5. James 1 and 5. And it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and unbraideth not. And it shall be given him. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. James chapter 4, verse 2. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. John 
First John chapter one. First John chapter one. Let's look at verse three. First John one. Chapter three. Let's look at verse twenty two. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. First John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Who can ask? Who can ask? There is only one promise in the Bible that pertains to sinners. One promise in the Bible that pertains to sinners. And that is salvation. If they confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart, they shall be saved. That is the promise that God has made to unbelievers. That's the only promise in the Bible that is made to unbelievers. Outside of that promise, all other promises, everything else, only belongs to his disciples. And I'm not talking about the 12 disciples. I'm talking about his disciples. Anyone who follows him. Who can ask? Anyone that has accepted him and follows him. That's key. Oh, that is so key. Because I didn't just say those who accept him. I said they have to accept him and follow him. Because just because you accept him does not mean that you are fit, prepared, positioned to receive anything of the Lord. Just because your child say that they're your child. <laughs> Just because your child says that they are your child and they don't do what you tell them to do, what are they getting from you? Oh, so you're not just you just you're just not gonna wash the dishes. You're just not going to take out the trash. You're just not going to clean your room. After I've told you, after I've told you, after I've told you, and you're just not going to do it. But you say you're my child, and I'm supposed to feed you and clothe you and give you all of it, but that, is, that what, that, is that what you're telling me? You want me to supply your needs, but you don't want to do what I ask you to do. God's the same way. Now he does have, he will be merciful unto whom he will be merciful. But to ask and expect to receive, <laughs> come on now, to ask and to expect to receive, 
That only belongs to those who've accepted him and are following him. The promises were made to the children. Matthew 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went hence and departed. Then Jesus went hence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away. But she cried after us. But he answered and said, and said I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to what? Dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about that, that ending part. But, but what I wanted you to see here is that he said that the, the, the children, you don't give the children's bread to dogs. What do we say about the dogs? Those who don't want it, those who reject it, we don't, we don't do that. You don't want to obey? You don't want to follow? You want to return to your vomit after you vomited up? You want to do all that? You don't want to follow? You're not a child. Not a child of God. Not a child of obedience. He was not rejecting her. But simply saying that salvation and all that comes with it is reserved first for those who accept him. That was his only goal. He was not rejecting her. He only wanted her to see. He only wanted her to see. The only thing that he was explaining is that it is the children's bread. Those are the ones who can come and ask. And he gives freely. We saw the scripture. He gives freely to those who ask. But there are conditions. There are conditions. Even in the Lord's Prayer, relationship was implied. With the very opening, our Father. Before you ask anything, before you say another word, Recognize that it has to be a relationship. If you're asking, it has to be a relationship. Our Father. And we already said what that, what that denotes. If you say Father, what does that mean? 
I'm not just calling you, not just calling you Father, but I am obeying. I am following you. I'm following you. And I got 21 seconds left. So we're not going to go any further. Next week we're going to talk about the guidelines. So we already established who can ask. Next week we're going to talk about the guidelines for receiving. Mm, you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that. And even if you think, even if you think you know, be patient. First of all, you're going to hear something that you didn't know, that you need to be reminded of. God's going to give you some fresh new revelation about it. But remember, we have those who are new in the faith. We have those who are new to our ministry, and they've probably never heard these things before. We want them to be able to ask, seek and knock, and get everything that the Lord wants them to have. So you've got to be patient. <laughs> you've got to be patient and allow us all to get that together. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the labor of love right there. I can be patient enough to wait on you. Patient enough for you to get what you need to get. Why? Because we want to all go together. All that want to go. All that want to go. We want to go together. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.